Good to see you all this morning. Welcome. If you're joining us online, welcome to you. So glad you're here. Uh, that last video is about a special worship night uh, coming in February. I hope you'll mark your calendar. Should be a lot of fun. Worship teams have been working on that, and it'll be a great celebration. Hope you can be here. I uh, wanted to give you an update on the Christmas offering. I mentioned last week that the offering had achieved an historic level. We'd collected $160,000 uh, to date as of last week. That's pretty good, um, more than we ever had. Let me just say that the that the money keeps coming in. So the Christmas offering now is is at two hundred and two thousand dollars, and so thank you so much for your generosity. I mean that's really remarkable. Now I mentioned this last week. Some of you heard that number. How do you get to that level of an offering for Christmas at Union Chapel? Uh, and you didn't give anything. Uh, so it's not too late. We will let you continue to contribute. We only take up one special offering, but apparently it's extended over several weeks this year. So you're certainly welcome to contribute to the Christmas offering if you haven't done so already. But a f- marvelous response. Thank you so much. I also uh, just want to mention today that as we prepare for the story in the beginning of that in two weeks, that we started a prayer initiative at Christmas time, called the 555 plan. This is find five people that you'll pray for five minutes a day for the next five weeks. And I hope that you've been doing that. Not only do we need to uh, secure these books and distribute them to people, my wife has been sending these books to people, family and friends all over the country, and then giving them reference, the link to the online services, live services, so that they can tune in. And I hope that you've secured your book and uh, we'll distribute others. So not only are we praying for folks that we care about, but let me just challenge you to invite them to be part of it as well. Invite them to come to church with you in two weeks and begin the story. Invite them to join us online. I believe God's going to allow us to reach a lot of new people this year. Just a reminder about the story, an understanding of the Bible is both the biggest desire that Christian people have and is also the greatest need that people who are seeking a meaningful relationship with God have. And it's rare that those two merge at the same spot. But in this case, it does. The greatest desire and the greatest need that people have is an understanding of the Bible. And so we're going to be doing that together. It should be a lot, a lot of fun. All right, today I want to continue with uh, the series, brief series on stewardship. And today specifically, I want to talk about overcoming fear. Overcoming fear. And I think this is going to be helpful to you. In fact, I know it will be. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is a New Testament book, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I'm going to read for us verses 17 to 19. This is the Apostle Paul writing to his young protege, Timothy, the young evangelist. And we can learn some of the admonition he gives to him and therefore to us. So our custom is to stand to hear God's word. Thanks for doing that as you're able. Verse 17, Paul writes, command those who are rich in this present world. Now we pause right there because Americans have this funny notion that there are, there are rich people in the world, but it's not me. Most Americans think that other people are rich, but I'm not rich. And let me just give you some perspective on that. Everyone in this room is not only rich by global standards, we are ultra rich. Every last single one of us, ultra rich. You say, well, you don't know my bank account. You are rich. You are fat and sassy if you live in this country like this. And so 
when, when Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world, he's talking to us, just so we have the right perspective on it. Command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life, the real thing, real life, true life, if we follow these commands. So may God inspire and encourage us today through his word. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Now, fear is a part of the defense mechanism that God has built into every one of us. All of us have this reaction. It's actually a chemical reaction that occurs in our brain when we feel threatened. And it's the, the fight or flight syndrome that, that people actually find themselves running to try to save themselves or standing to fight to try to preserve themselves. And what's worse, we tend to have an overactive fear mechanism. So we get it naturally, and so we have this fight or flight mechanism, but most of us take it to several steps more where there is a little bit of fear, it becomes a lot of fear and can become immobilizing fear. Most of you have heard this story. A pastor went to make a call on a parishioner. He knocked on the door of their home. He heard rustling around inside the house, but no one came to the door, and so he left his card and put on there, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, which simply says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. Well, as they were filing out of church the following Sunday, the woman whose home he had visited handed him a note, and after everyone had left, he opened the note, and it simply said, Genesis 3.10, which says, I heard you when I was in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself little Bible joke there, plan words. This, of course, was the response that Adam gave to God when, Ad, when, when, when Adam and God's regular daily routine to walk together in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden after sin had come into the world and Adam and Eve had failed by eating, partaking of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, look, I was afraid. I was afraid and I hid myself from you. Like Adam and Eve, most of our fears are the result of separation from God, this isolation that we feel from God. And so fear builds in that isolation and it, and it, and it distorts our true c- connection with God and what's good about that. And so fears begin to take over our lives. Phobias and fears of all sorts have been especially rampant in the last couple of years in our world. As you know, people even before that afraid, for example, of people who are different than they are. And as a result of those fears, these isms are created. You know, you're not like me, and so I'm afraid of you, and this can lead to violence and hate and even war. People are afraid in particular in these days in which we're living that they'll lose their health. They're afraid of the future, afraid of rejection, afraid of failure, afraid of success, 
In economic times like these, people are afraid of financial instability and distress. So all of these fears, and fear tends to breed more fear and more paralysis and incapacitation can distract us from our primary mission and our purpose in life. We can actually lose sight of God's best plan for us because fear is distracting. So what can we do? I want to just offer three simple ideas today, but I would suggest that they are more than just simple. They are also profound in order to deal with fear, overcome fear. The first is this, and it's trust God. Now, that sounds like a preacher thing to say, doesn't it? Hey, just trust God. You know, that's the easiest thing in the world to say. Just trust God. Well, let me talk about that. After God had delivered the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage, you'll remember that they were 400 years from the time of Joseph until God raised up Moses these 400 years. And, and, now, and now the Israelites have been extricated from that bondage and they arrive at a place on the southern border of Canaan, the land of promise, and a place called Kadesh Barnea. And from that place, God appoints men, from tw- one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, and he sends them to spy out the land, these 12 spies. And they go into the land, they're there for 40 days, and they come back, they're carrying fruit from the land, and they said, how is the land of promise? And these 12 say, it's a land that is good, and it's flowing with milk and honey, Here are some of the fruit of the land. And 10 of these men then give a very, very fearful report. However, they say, but the land is filled with very strong peoples, fortified cities. And we've also, in the land, we've encountered sons of Anak, these Anakim, these giants, these uh, men of renown, these warriors who are supersized men. And they conclude by saying, compared to them, we are grasshoppers. They look at us and thought we were grasshoppers. We looked at ourselves compared to them and we felt like grasshoppers. So we don't dare try to take the land and possess it. There's no way it can be done. The cities are fortified and there are giants. Joshua and Caleb, two of these guys, they have a different perspective. They say, oh, yes. We can, we can indeed overtake these enemies and possess the land. And we should start right now. We shouldn't hesitate. And it's, and, it's, and it's a furor. Caleb in Numbers 13 said, let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. And so there's this debate. So the 10 spies place fear and distrust in the people, and two of these guys, Joshua and Caleb, they, they advocate for taking the land, trusting God for the provision. The people's response is to be afraid. This is what they recommend. This is what we should do. We should stone to death Joshua and Caleb because we're tired of listening to them try to lead us into a war we can't win. And we'll, we'll replace Moses. We'll get ourselves some new leaders and we'll go back to Egypt. Are you following this? We'll go back to Egypt. It's bondage there. It's slavery there. But at least in bondage and slavery, we know under Pharaoh that, that at least we'll have three squares a day and we won't be killed. It's slavery. It's bondage. But it's better to go back where it's safe and predictable than it is to go forward 
where we have to face these giants. It's an amazing moment, an amazing moment. And God responds by saying, okay, fine. If you don't trust me, if you don't believe that I can provide for you, if you don't think I can help you overcome and possess the land I've promised to Abraham, your father, then have it your way. And he declares then that everyone who is an adult age of all the Israelites in the wilderness will die in the desert. So for the next 40 years, an entire generation dies off. Only Joshua and Caleb and all the children who were alive at the time entered the land of promise 40 years later. It's an amazing, it's an amazing story. So let me ask you the question, what was the difference between the 10 spies who gave a fearful report and Joshua and Caleb who gave a faith-filled report? What was the difference between those guys? Did one group, you know, identify the problem, the danger, the obstacle, and the other didn't? Were Joshua and Caleb in denial? None of that was true. They both saw reality. Oh, yeah, they're great. They're strong. They're big. They're bad. But we can take them because God is with us. So what separated? What was the difference between these two groups? Joshua and Caleb, I submit, focused on the size of their God rather than the size of their enemy. We've got a big God. We serve a great God, and he is well able to allow us to possess the land. That's a strong thing, isn't it? Isn't that a helpful perspective? To see the size of our God rather than the size of our enemy? Yes, it is. Look at Psalm 46, verses 1 and 2 on the screen with me. It says, God is our refuge and strength, therefore we will not fear. Though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, our God is our refuge and strength. Look at Psalm 118. With the Lord on my side, I do not fear. Isaiah 41, verse 10, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Isn't that encouraging? Nod your head like you're actually breathing in the room. That's good. That's encouraging. That's helpful. That is so faith-filled. God is with us. So trusting God is the first key to overcoming. In Mark chapter 4, there's an interesting story. Jesus is with the disciples, and they're on the shore of Galilee, and Jesus said, let's get in the boat and go across to the other side. The boys say, fine. You've got a handful of fishermen there. Not their first rodeo. They know how to take a boat across Galilee. And so they get in the boat and they get about halfway across and a big storm blows up. Some of you remember the story. And the waves immediately, the wind and the waves get so great that waves are now lapping over the boat. Boys are having to bail. And they're panicked. They're afraid. Do you remember Jesus' posture in the boat? Anyone remember? What was he doing? He was sleeping. The Bible, the text actually gives us this insight that he's laying on a cushion. A cushion. <laughs> In other words, he's got a pillow. Got a pillow. How many of you know if you got a pillow, that's, that's not dozing off. That's a nap on purpose right there. That's a purposeful sleep. They get in the boat. He grabs a cushion crawls up and goes to sleep. Now this big storm blows up, threatening their lives. He's sleeping in the, in the boat. And so the boys go over to him as they're bailing and they shake him awake. And they say to him, 
don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care we're about to die here? (laughs) It's interesting, isn't it? Let me give you some insight into this story that you hadn't thought about perhaps. Here's a case in point where the people of God, the disciples of Jesus, are in the center of God's will. Did Jesus ask them to go across to the other side? This is the will of God. This is the mandate of God. Go to the other side. So they're in the center of God's will. God's perfect plan and purpose for their lives is being fulfilled. They're going to the other side of the lake. And in the middle of the lake, in the center of God's will, a storm blows up. Is that okay with you? You're in the center of God's will. You're doing exactly what he asked you to do. And you find yourself in the middle of a storm, a life-threatening storm. Does your theology allow for that kind of circumstance? Listen, I'd love to tell you today, if you, if you serve, serve Jesus, you're in the center of his will for your life. Life is going to be easy. It's going to be smooth. It's going to be better. Uh, the sea is always going to be calm. The wind's always going to be light. The sun is always shining. Everything's going to be nice. Wouldn't that be something? There's only one problem with it. It doesn't work that way. That's not, that's not reality. In fact, gosh, I've been following Jesus for over 50 years now. I, just, I have a testimony. I'll give you a witness. I've discovered that following Jesus places you in the middle of more storms than I think you'd be in otherwise. Is that okay with you? Now, listen, you have, to, you have a couple of options. You can either follow, keep following Jesus into another storm, or you can run some other direction. Nobody has to follow Jesus. <laughs> These boys are following Jesus. They wake Jesus up. What does Jesus say to them? He says to them, why are you guys so, why are you guys so afraid? Why so timid? It's an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, isn't it obvious can you see the incredulity on their face? What do you, what do you mean, why are we afraid? Can't you see? <laughs> They're hanging on. The waves are coming over. It's like asking a guy who's just climbed out of the pool, how come you're so wet? Can't you see the storm? That's why we're afraid. Jesus stands up, and he just, he just goes like this. He goes, Peace. Shh, shh, be quiet. Just like that. And immediately the wind calms and the waves settle to nothing. Interesting verse, the last verse of that passage in Mark chapter 4, verse 41. The Bible says that the disciples were terrified. Well, first they're afraid, they're afraid for their lives, and now. This new fear comes upon them. Now now they have the fear of God on them. They look at each other and they say, who the heck is this guy? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Who is he? And the fear of God comes on them. So now now they're just not typically afraid, afraid they're going to die. Now they have the fear of God and they're terrified by it. Let me give you some perspective. Now, listen. Listen to your pastor. You're not awake very well this morning. Listen, I'm glad you're here, but seriously. I'm making an effort. 
Meet me halfway. Here's, here's a principle of life. Listen to me. No one can fear two things equally at the same time. If you have two fears in your life, they will never be at the same level of fear. One will always supersede the other. One fear will always be greater than the other. Well, I would, I would start tithing, but I'm afraid if I do, I won't have enough. But if I don't honor God with my tithe, then how can I live under an open heaven? That's, how, that's what the promise is. If I, if I, so I'm afraid I won't live under an open heaven. And so one of those fears has to be greater. They can't be the same. The disciples learn an important lesson that day, that the fear of God should be the fear that supersedes all other fears in life, even the fear of death. That trusting God, that's where it's at because he can be trusted. He's a great God. He's our refuge and strength. He's on our side. He is with us. Amen. That's where the amen goes. <laughs> Still not awake. Well, it's okay to say, trust God, but how do you do that? Let me give you some insight into that. It's a second point today, and that is offer gratitude. Here's what I mean. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. These three verses, the apostle Paul's writing, and he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ. Rejoice always, this is a Greek phrase that means to be cheerful or calmly happy. Paul's writing to a group of Christians who had been suffering persecution because of their faith. I mean, they'd suffered a lot. And yet he told them, be cheerful. Rejoice always. Be calmly happy. Ever meet people like that? My wife's like that. It's mostly annoying. <laughs> he said, be cheerful. And how's that possible? Well, by praying without ceasing and by giving thanks. If I were to ask the question this morning, do you think it's important for Christians to pray? Everyone goes, oh, yes. How many of you are good at prayer? Not as many, a few. You know who you are. Someone described this to me recently. I, I really like it. They said most Christians understand that a prayer life is important. A prayer life. Everyone should have a prayer life and even a good prayer life. You agree? Even though we're not great at it. It should be a discipline that's part of our lives. A prayer life. But he said the people who have changed history, the people who have shook the world, the people who have really influenced others, the world changers, these are people who had more than just a prayer life. They had a life of prayer. Can you hear the distinction? Let me, let me talk to, I, I realize this weekend I'm not talking to a lot of people, but I want to talk to those of you who understand what I just described there as a distinction between a prayer life and a life of prayer. When Paul says pray without ceasing, he's talking about a life of prayer. Now he knows you got to go to sleep at night and you got to stop to eat and all those things. You got to do life. And so he's not talking about, you know, with your hands folded and in a prayer posture all the time. 
He's just simply talking about having an awareness of God all the time, a sensitivity to the presence of God all the time, a, a, a constant reference to God in your life that he walks beside you and you can talk to him anytime need. And, and so it's a, it's a life of prayer and it's prayer without ceasing. And I can tell you that when you're, when you're walking with God and his presence is realized in your life and experience, listen, fear can't live there. Fear can't be part, a dominant part of your life if God is present. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. And as you give thanks to God, this, in, this causes the presence of God to be enriched even further. Where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am. God inhabits the praise of his people. And so these are the promises of scripture. And we know that when we offer God thanksgiving and gratitude, that his presence accompanies that. And you can't fear the nonsense of life, the lesser things of life, and fear God at the same time. Fear gets overcome in a person who has learned to practice these things. People who learn to do this rise above their circumstances. They rise above it and rise above their fears. So those of you who have this gift of intercession, this smaller percentage of people that I've been talking to this weekend, could I just nudge you one more time to double down on your life of prayer in this season we're in here at Union Chapel? God is at work among us. Amazing things are happening. Amazing things are happening. Um, it may feel, may feel like midwinter and we're all frozen and we're all tired and that's the kind of the physical reality, the circumstances around us. But listen to your pastor. God is on the move in our midst. Amazing things are happening. And I believe that this year is going to give us opportunity in the lives of many, many people who will engage the story and, and find out. They will hear this story, which summarized very simply is, God loves you so much, he's made a way for you to live with him forever. That's the story. And people will come to realize that. And as they realize that, they're going to come to a meaningful faith in Christ. And that's going to happen because people like us are praying and we're inviting and we're encouraging. And I, I just want, I want you to, I want you to take a hold of the sense of call on your life and the responsibility you have with the people you have influence with to invite them into this story. And it's going to be a great thing. Those of you who are intercessors, I'm relying on you to pray. Let me just rem remind you that no matter what call you have in your life, and everybody has a call, you have a special purpose, you have a destiny, you have, a, you have a, a, a one primary significant contribution that God wants you to make in the world, and he gives you natural ability, he gives you personality for that, he gives you experiences for that, he gives you spiritual gifts for that, and all of us, all of us have to carry the responsibility of that call. So I have no idea what that might be for me. We can help you do that. Can help you figure that out. Because everybody has a call in their life. God has a plan for you, purpose for you. And everyone with that unique call and purpose has to suffer for it. There's a burden that comes with it. Uh, 
Some, some folks, it's, it's not as heavy as others. And it's just God's choosing you to carry something lighter. Like my wife, I told you she's annoying because she's cheerful all the time. And the same thing with her spiritual gifts, which are mercy and hospitality, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> and God bless her because we need merciful people. And she's really good at it. I need it. It's a good thing she has the gift of mercy. She's exercised it on me many, many times. Thank God. In your case, if, you're, if, you're, if you have the gift of intercession, you have to suffer for that. And the reason that comes with suffering is because when you look at the world, you see it through often through the eyes of Jesus. And you see people's needs, and you see people's pain, you see people's hurts, and you feel it. It's a burden to you. It's just like it's heavy. It's like a dark cloud hangs over you. And what's it make you do? It makes you pray. Because it's the only way you can get it off. The only way I can release this burden is to pray. And so God stimulates you to pray and, and, and gives you spiritual capacity to pray. It's called the gift of intercession. If you have it, you know it. If you're sitting there going, I wonder if I have that gift. Hmm. No, you would know. Unless you're a brand new Christian, just being exposed to this stuff for the first time, you would know for sure. I, I've made this confession to you recently. I have this gift of evangelism. It's kind of the primary gift that I operate out of all the time. And, and so I carry around this burden that I'm never content. I'm never happy. I admitted this to you. You thought, oh, poor pastor. But, I'm, I, but I carry this burden. I go through the world and there's lots of people lost. And I just feel it. I feel people's lostness. It just weighs me down all the time. It keeps me from actually ever, ever feeling happy or content. You, I know, I, you just never go, sit down and go, ah, oh, there. Finished it. <laughs> it's never done. Because <laughs> there's lost people walking around everywhere. And people need to know the Lord. It's very serious. Eternity at stake. So I'm just calling on, on the intercessors. And those of you who, who have connection points with people that you could invite and be winsome about it. All right, two weeks from now, we're going to church, we're going to that 1130 service, and we're going to learn from Genesis 1 about creation. And it's going to be really helpful to get perspective. We're going to understand what the Bible teaches about these things, and it's going to help us. And then the next week, and you'll see it's going to be fun and, and informative and helpful, and you're going to learn things you've never learned before, and it's going to be great. And we're just going to do this, and it's, we're, and it's going to go for 31 weeks. We're going to take a big break in the middle of the year and then pick up the New Testament, and we're going to get all the way, all the way through. And by the end of the year, we're going to have a working knowledge and understanding of the Scripture. We're going to have a big picture understanding of the Bible and what this story is all about. And it's going to be fantastic. Everybody's going to win. And it will be effective and influential in the lives of people to the degree that you are willing to pray and to boldly invite people to part, be part of it. Grab, grab these books. My, I told you Beth has been sending these things all over the country. Buy a bunch of books and send them, give them to people. Just, just be bold. I, I preached a sermon series just before the end of the year called Dangerous Prayers. Why did I do that? I told you when I did it why I'm doing it. 
because I want you to pray dangerous prayers. One of the prayers I spent the whole week talking about, be bold. Lord, make me bold is a dangerous prayer. And that's my prayer for you, that you'll be bold to reach out to people whose greatest desire and greatest need is a better understanding of the Bible. You can do it. Last point. Have I mentioned the last point? Live a life of service and generosity. Have I mentioned that? I'm mentioning it now. Third time through, I don't always remember where, where I've been or where I'm going. I, I know I've been here before. I just, didn't know, I just don't know when, <laughs> when I've been here before today. Many of you have heard the story of John D. Rockefeller Sr. We all know the Rockefellers, you know, as part of a, like iconic cultural name. But John D. Rockefeller Sr. was the patriarch of this family of Rockefellers. And by the time he was 33 years old, he had made his first million dollars. He was the founder of Standard Oil. And at the time, this, he had a monopoly on all the oil production in the United States, and he accumulated some resources. Success and acquisition was at the core of his, of his person. And he lived just with this ambition to pile it up, to gain power, status, and, and assets, just the biggest pile he could make. By the time John D. Rockefeller Sr. was 53 years old, now listen to this, he was struck with an illness that caused his hair to fall out, made him unable to digest food, and he was completely clinically depressed. His doctors told him that he had at most one year to live. Rockefeller went into a bed and he laid there in this depressed state until he began to think about his life. Maybe, he thought, my approach hasn't been, been the most productive approach. Maybe it's not the most healthy approach. And he came to a realization, and no doubt God helped him get to there. And much like Scrooge, whom we all know from Dickens' A Christmas Carol, he woke up the next day and decided that he was going to become a generous person. And that's what he did. He gave away hundreds of millions of dollars to hospitals and universities, medical research, to, to his church, to missions. His funds helped the discovery of cures to many killer kinds of diseases. And by learning to be generous, he so dramatically changed his life that he lived well beyond his prognosis. In fact, he became the inheritor of what Luke wrote when he said, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Because John D. Rockefeller Sr. lived to the age of 98. They said, 53, you're done. Your health is shot, you're done. And then he lives to 98, almost 100. By changing his life, to one of service and generosity to others. One of the ways that most of us can overcome fear becomes actually quite simple. As simple as stop thinking about your own problems and start serving the needs and, and, and issues of others. Rather than focusing on my own pain and my own, my own lack, I start focusing on other folks and being generous in service to them and suddenly I don't have enough time to worry about myself and I actually feel better. Shazam, 
Is anyone listening? This actually works. <laughs> That's why Paul told Timothy, tell people who have some resources to do good, to be rich in good works, be generous, be ready to share so that they can take hold of real life. Man, what a great opportunity to grab a hold of life as it was meant to be. George Wicks, you've heard me describe George. He's the father of my faith. He's my spiritual dad. He took early retirement from Eli Lilly. He was an engineer at Lilly. He and his wife Eva raised seven children. Four of them were biological children and three of them were adopted. All three of his adopt, their adopted children had physical handicaps. One had suffered polio and another was blind. All of them spectacular followers of Jesus as they've grown into adulthood. George and Eva, in their retirement, now watch this, they led over 400 lay witness missions. Now, a lay witness mission uh, back in the day was a weekend mission that they would bring a team of people into a local church and share the gospel of Christ and share their testimonies with people. Uh, that was the context in which I came to faith personally. And so they led over 400 of those. Now, think it, now listen to me. Those were weekend events. Over 400 weekend events, lay witness missions. They also led over 150 short-term mission trips to other parts of the world. By the way, they spent nine months of their life. The longest mission stint they ever took was in Central Asia in the same country that we have interest in. Isn't that fascinating? I just think that's amazing. I visited George and Eva within three days of George's death. I've told this recently. He was three days away from, from meeting Jesus. And these are some of the statements he made that day. For, and the first one is this, and I quote, he said, these last years have been the best years of my life. These last years have been the best years of my life. That's the way it's supposed to be. That should be normal. Yeah, he must have had a good time. He retired early and started playing golf. No. No. He went over, went over the world preaching the gospel. He said, and I quote, I only wish I could live longer to tell more people about Jesus. I've said out loud, and I'll say it again, he was the greatest soul winner I was ever around. I'm amazed by this reality, but I'll say it out loud, and I'm, this is not to draw attention to myself because I'm, I'm just shy, I'm amazed that this is true. I have personal friends that 100 years from now, they will appear in history books. Their names will be there because of the influence they've had for Christ's sake in the world. I, I have personal friends, good personal friends, who have changed the world for Jesus. So much so that history will remember them. Iconic figures of Christian leadership. Having said that, I never, I've never met anyone who was a greater soul winner than George Wicks. I was with him many, many, many times over the years, and I heard him pray dozens, maybe hundreds of times. I never heard George start a prayer except with these three words, thank you, Jesus. 
Time to eat a little bag lunch on the mission field here now on the mission trip. George, pray for the meal. Thank you, Jesus. When he's on his deathbed, I took his hand out from underneath the sheet and I said, George, put your hand on my head and pray for me. Put his hand, I literally, I physically took his hand, put it on my head. I said, I want you to pray that whatever God has put on you, that he'd put it on me. George began his prayer. Thank you, Jesus. This all came through his simple lifestyle, his gratitude to God, his generosity, his constant desire to serve God and others. Are there any questions? So many people, so many Christian people, absorbed by, obsessed with fears and phobias of all sorts and varieties. God, I'm afraid of the future. God, I'm afraid of this health crisis. God, I'm afraid of the government. God, I'm afraid of what's going to happen next tomorrow. God, I'm afraid of what's going to happen to me and my children. God, I'm afraid about their education. God, I'm afraid about my, my retirement years. God, I'm so afraid. I'm here to tell you today, this is the word of God to us. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. God is with us. He is the strong tower into which we run. He is the one who's promised to be with us and never forsake us. He's the one who promised that whatever he began in us, he'll be faithful to complete it. Listen, I, I, let me just say this, I, because I want you to know how much authority I speak with. I have a lot of issues and problems and sins, and I've confessed a lot of that to you. Look, I need a therapist. I got issues. I got problems. Having said that, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid right now. I wasn't afraid yesterday. It's not that I haven't been through some stuff. It's not that I haven't seen some storms. It's not that Beth and I haven't suffered. It's not any of that. I'm not, I'm not living in some kind of denial or alternate reality. I get it. I'm, I'm firmly planted on the ground and I know it's hard. Life is hard. Then we die. I get it. I understand all that, but I am not afraid. I have a deep and confident trust that God is going to complete in me and in us everything he promised to do. And nothing is going to stop us because he is with us. God is with us. He's a trustworthy God. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm not afraid of tomorrow. I'm looking forward to tomorrow. I'm not afraid of the next day. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. God is at work, and we can trust him. Don't be afraid. And the quickest way I know to live without fear is to give thanks to God in all circumstances, trust him, choose to serve others, practice generosity. And as we begin to do these things, we'll, we'll find that fear just dissolves, just dissolves away from us. So these are very practical insights and steps today that you can employ right now. In fact, here's your homework assignment. Every night this week, before you go to sleep, I want you to think of five things that you're grateful for for that day. God, I'm thankful for. Now, all hell could have broken loose in your day and it ruined your day and it was a messy day, but there's still reason to be thankful. What am I thankful for today, Lord? And just name five things, maybe even write them down and look at them on a page and just say, Lord, I am grateful 
I am grateful. Now, Lord, help me to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. And when you do that, fear will melt away from you. I promise. You're looking at the guy who lives without it. I don't, I, I just don't, I don't, I'm not afraid. <laughs> I'm just not. One more thing I want to put it on the screen. I put it on your app uh, in the outline so that you can have it. This whole thing is about stewardship. Of course, I've been talking about fear, but some folks are afraid to give. But just to remind you that we are actually hosting a Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace, at 10 o'clock during the 10 o'clock service. Some of you probably have been attending that. It's over in the chapel. And this is the second week, I think. You could probably still get into the thing. It goes for nine weeks, and you can learn from it. If you haven't taken Financial Peace yet, uh, you should do so soon because uh, it won't be long and you'll be the last Christian in America who's not taken Financial Peace University and you'll feel a little left out. So you should take it. But some of the principles there, I'll just, I just want you to have them so you'll have it on your phone and it's on the outline and I'll put it on the screen. Number one, pay your tithe and offering first. This is just a first fruits principle. Make God first in your life. Number two, create a budget and track your expenses. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Everybody should be on a budget you should know where every dollar of your income goes. Uh, Ramsey has an app that you can download for free. It's called Every Dollar, and, if, and it's just easy as it can be, and you can plug it in and, uh, and suddenly get control of your money. Number three, simplify your lifestyle. In other words, live below your means. The Bible's pretty clear about this. If you consume all that you have, you're, you're not wise. You're, you're a fool. So if you're actually spending more money than you make... <laughs> That's not going to end well. Any questions? If you spend more than you make, that's not going to end up in a good place. Is that, is that hard? <laughs> it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Number four, establish an emergency fund because a rainy day will come. You don't know what kind of emergency it will be, and it may be a big deal, and you're going to need money to weather it. So get an emergency fund in place. Number five, Pay off your credit cards. Use cash and debit cards for purchases. Use your credit wisely. Some scripture for that. Number six, practice long-term savings and investing habits. And when you do that, when you do that, you will actually come to the end of your days comfortable financially and probably in a position where you can be extremely generous, extravagantly generous. And, that, and that's the way it should be. My only regret is that I didn't know Dave Ramsey when I was 25 years old. Wish I, didn't, how many, I wish I knew then what I know now. Anybody get a witness on that? My problem, of course, is Dave Ramsey was only eight years old when I was 25, and so, <laughs> so he wasn't quite up to speed yet himself. I wish someone would have told me so that I would know. If I knew then what I know now, uh, well, if I knew then what I know now, you wouldn't have to pay me a salary because I'd be independently wealthy. Because that's the way it works. So you guys be encouraged and be full of faith. Starve your fears to death by your confident trust in God. Amen? Let's pause and pray. Lord, we thank you for these important stories and this word that you, you give us. And we pray now that you would
give us sufficient grace to live in these promises so that fear is diminished and our trust in you grows more and more. Thank you, God, for this amazing love that you've extended to us. We receive it with gratitude. And for Jesus' sake and in his name we pray. And everyone said, would you stand with us, please?